0: Hello everyone, my name is Phil Goodrich, and this is episode 4 of A Surfer's Path. I've been struggling putting together this episode, so I need to warn you. I'm going to talk about some subjects that are sensitive, might be upsetting to some people. I'm going to talk about the suicide of my friend. And so, if this is something that upsets you too much, you might want to skip this episode. Have you ever felt the pressure of surfing during a man-on-man heat in the finals of a world-qualifying series competition? Your hopes and desires are wrapped up in 30-minute increments and that fate is decided by a panel of judges. 20,000 people are watching on the beach, but almost every single one of them are cheering for your opponent, who is a vibrant phenom, nine years younger than you, and clearly a more exciting surfer. His father slash coach is at the water's edge, screaming directions and encouragement. Every time you look over your shoulder, this kid is on another wave, blasting above the lip, and the crowd is lapping it up and going ballistic. The beach commentator is calling out the scores. 6.5, 8.3. Philippe Toledo, your heat total is 14.5. Damn, this is getting embarrassing. And then you hear your name. Jean de Silva, you need an 8.7 to take the lead. Shit. Your highest score of this whole event has been an 8. The waves are 2 to 3 feet and choppy. Most people on the beach are just waiting for this to be over so they can watch the Reef Bikini Contest. It's been a grind to make it this far. Virginia Beach, Virginia is not exactly a dream destination for surfing. In fact, it's one of the armpits of all beach cities on the East Coast. Part military town, part redneck Riviera, and 100% awkward for traveling world tour surfers. For some reason, the World Surf League decided to make the 2012 Vans Contest a 5-star event worth thousands of points towards qualification on the championship tour. So all of the heavy hitters decided to show up. Jean de Silva had battled his way into this final heat, taking down some big names along the way. Tanner Gudaskus, Connor Coffin, Jack Freestone, one by one quietly marching through heats. And so it was, with two minutes to go, and the final heat on the last day, he sat far out the back, patiently waiting for one final wave and a score that seemed impossible. I've never experienced pressure like that while surfing. And it was my dream growing up that I might be on the world tour, be a professional surfer, get paid, but I never accomplished that goal. I didn't give up on surfing though. And in a roundabout way, I made a different path for myself. Five months before the 2012 Vans East Coast Surfing Championship, five months, before I was to meet Jean de Silva. I was in Indonesia at Macaroni's Resort. I had agreed to trade art for accommodation, and I was loving it. It was early in the season, and only a few guests were there, and because the third story tower was still under construction, I had the whole floor to myself, and I converted it into an art studio. In April, the surf guide at the resort decided to take a higher-paying gig on a charter boat. The owner asked me to fill in for him, so I reluctantly agreed. He reassured me, saying, There's only one guest booked for this week. Some Brazilian dude. He's paying the video guy extra to film every one of his waves. In my mind, I was thinking, Great, Great. Great. some rich brazo brazo needs special special treatment." treatment. His luggage arrived first, and on his board bag was a piece of duct tape and the name J-E-A-N, written with a Sharpie. What kind of Brazilian name is Jean? When the guy stepped off the boat, he was wearing a bright Hawaiian shirt and tight denim shorts. He had curly hair that almost looked like an Afro and a permanent smile. There was something about that smile. You can't fake a smile like that. He took a beeline straight at me and vigorously shook my hand. Fiyu, my friend is making a movie called Intensio. You have the opening wave, blah, blah, blah. I'm taking a break from the QS to film here in Indo. Get some video clips, blah, blah, blah. His words were coming in rapid fire. His manner was disarming. How is he on the world tour tour? and I I haven't haven't heard of him, him. but somehow he's heard of me? me. Gene Da Silva. 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 Wait, Wait. John Da Silva? Silva. That sounds a little more more familiar. familiar. Da Silva. Well, whatever, let's go surf. On the short boat ride out to the wave at Macaroni's, Jean started peppering questions at the videographer from the resort. Camera settings, editing programs, lenses, how many hours per day he would film. It sounded like he was interviewing him for a job. By the time we reached the wave, the filmer and I looked at each other with disbelief. Who is this dude? Up until that moment, I had seen dozens of pro surfers come and go in Indonesia. I'm impressed by anyone that earns a salary for riding waves. But I also hold those surfers to the highest standard when it comes to style. When I say style, I don't mean how they dress. Surfing style can be blatant or nuanced. Loud, ugly, and masculine. Or delicate, mesmerizing, and achingly beautiful. After Jean's first wave at Macaroni's, it became instantly apparent that this guy had immaculate style. His vertical snap attacks and fin wafts above the lip were standard for professional surfing at that time. It was the transitions in between maneuvers where the nuance of his great style could be found. The way he held his arms and the precision in which he generated speed was sublime. There was no wasted movement in his limbs and no manic aggression that I noticed in many other pro surfers. He was the epitome of speed, power, and flow, which happens to be the mantra of the scoring criteria of the World Surf League. Over the course of the next two weeks, I learned so many things from this Sean De Silva. He had an undeniable and infectious enthusiasm, which was not an act of someone pretending to be polite. He made the most out of all conditions, and when he wasn't surfing, he was filming everything. When he wasn't filming, he was editing clips on his laptop. When he wasn't editing clips, he was carefully cultivating and grooming his social media. Answering emails, keeping sponsors happy, negotiating, and booking future trips. He was a virtual repository of positivity. A few sessions with Jean that will forever be burned into my brain were at Greenbush. Greenbush is an insanely shallow left that barrels at a hypnotic pace. I've learned that it quickly separates guests into two distinct camps. Committed barrel hounds or nervous spectators. After watching Jean at the bush for the first time, for me it would forever and after be called... There was an immediate connection with him at that wave. He would patiently wait far out the back for the wave of the day. He made subtle adjustments inside the barrel that generated speed, but kept him as deep as possible for as long as possible. There was a big difference between racing along for an exit and flirting with the depths of a pit, and it was joyous and terrifying to watch. At that time, I was new to the skill of video editing and I got to sit and watch over Jean's shoulder as he would go over clips from the daily sessions, lovingly weaving them together, adjusting speed and music with pure intention. He told me about his friend, a videographer named Loiki Worth, who was making a video with the working title Intensio. He shared a few rough edits with me and it was apparent that Luiki's style of filmmaking was groundbreaking for the time and had greatly influenced what Jean was trying to capture in his surfing clips and lifestyle shots. In just two short weeks at Macaroni's, Jean had already made a few short videos. He was able to effortlessly capture and weave together moments that encapsulated the best things about surfing in Indonesia. He also captured me in a bond of true friendship and as a fan of his surfing career. I became invested in his success or failure as he pursued the grind of a world tour qualifying series surfer. Jean allowed me to see the inner workings of the life of a qualifying series surfer. and What I learned was that he had spent a large portion of his sponsor's travel budget by staying two weeks at Macaroni's Resort and paying for all of his video clips. This left him in a difficult position that required him to pick and choose which events he would decide to travel to and compete for the remainder of the season. He told me that he would now be forced to mostly stay in Brazil and wait for the highest rated events. If he could place high enough in those, he would earn the money to get to Hawaii for the Triple Crown events which are the highest rated of all. I realized that Jean was hedging his bets, putting money down on himself as a free surfer. At that time, the only successful free surfers were guys like Bruce Irons or Dane Reynolds. Brazilian surfers in 2012 were considered contest-hungry machines, not necessarily known for being trendsetters of style. In June of 2012, Vans announced that they would celebrate the 50th anniversary of the East Coast Championships in Virginia Beach, Virginia, by partnering with the ASP and making it a six-star qualifying event. Virginia is reasonably close to where I live, so I immediately thought of Jean. In my excitement, I called him, but he seemed less than enthusiastic and he was unaware that they increased the point value of the event. "'Isn't the water really cold there?' was his first response. After I explained that it was in fact quite tropical that time of year on the East Coast, he said that his travel budget was almost finished. I decided to make my pitch and swing for the fences. "'Why don't you just stay here? You could rest and eat for free, and we could train in the surf of South Carolina.'" The waves, weather, and water temperature are nearly identical to Virginia. I went online and found him a cheap ticket option from Brazil to North Carolina. It all happened relatively quickly. And on the 12th of August, 2012, John arrived in my tiny city of Fork, South Carolina, population 665. He brought an inflatable yoga ball and three surfboards and that permanent smile my wife and i have had a surprising number of international surfing visitors stay with us in our tiny landlocked house i find myself both amused and a little embarrassed when i see our town through the eyes of our guests they are always shocked that i live so far from the coast and that our closest neighbors are cows jean and i set out on a rigorous training method of dog walking yoga stretching and all-you-can-eat southern-style buffets. We made the most out of knee-high and windy conditions of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And in the evenings, Jean would give me small seminars about social media and video editing. While walking my dog at sunrise one morning, Jean stopped in a cow field as something caught his attention on the barbed wire fence. It was a spider web soaked and drooping with the morning dew The eastern sunrise was refracting through it, and it dazzled like a chandelier in a mansion. As he started filming the scene, I realized that there were thousands of small spider webs along the fence and woven into the grass weeds. It's incredible that you can walk by something hundreds of times and not notice it. But when you finally do, it can unravel the majesty all around you. To me, This was one of Jean's many superpowers. It could reveal subtle, visual things that could help you appreciate the beauty that exists in everything. I felt a bit guilty that I had no plans to go with Jean to watch him compete in the event. I have an allergy to large crowds and this East Coast Championship event was an infamous shit show of not only surfing, but skateboarding, BMX, Bikini contests, and cornhole competitions. He had some fellow Brazilian competitor friends that already had a hotel room in which he could stay. So I was confident he would be fine. I could hardly bear to even watch the event online. I was too invested in his success or failure. I felt the responsibility of talking him into entering the event. And so I went surfing instead, and I checked his progress on my phone. Day by day, heat after heat, he was taking them down, quietly scoring just enough points to advance through rounds and into the main event. In the man-on-man heats, he seemed to draw all the youngest big names. Tanner Godaskis, Connor Coffin, Jack Freestone, and even the webcast commentators seemed amazed that this lesser-known Brazilian stylist was able to defeat these younger, flashy aerialists. On the other side of the draw, Philippe Toledo was easily smoking anyone and everyone with his spring-loaded aerial antics. In the semifinals, he got the highest heat total of the event with a 17.76. To say he was the favorite to win the event was an understatement. Aerial surfing is undeniably more exciting to a crowd on the beach. It takes a more critical eye to appreciate the judging criteria of speed, power, and flow. This was the epitome of Jean's surfing, and it brought him into this final, but also left him with his back to the wall. With two minutes to go, he needed a near impossible score of 8.7. One minute to go, and Jean was still patiently sitting far out to sea with his back to the crowd. And then it appeared the set of the day, quite a bit bigger than anything else that two to three foot windy day in Virginia Beach had dished up thus far. Jean had priority, and just like all great scripts, he calmly stroked into the right hander and proceeded to obliterate the wave with three flawless and vertical backhand lip bashes and a fourth rebound off the whitewater on the inside. My wife and I were nervously watching the webcast. And after Jean's last wave, we knew he had done it. We started screaming, hugging, and crying. Even our dog started howling when he saw our reaction. The crowd was eerily quiet. The commentators were in disbelief. Even Philippe Toledo's father looked like he had been punched in the gut. The first place check of $25,000 was the much-needed jolt to Jean's travel budget and a considerable jump in the ratings. The top 32 ranked surfers from the qualifying series get to join the Elite Tour, and after his win in Virginia and a fifth place in Brazil, Jean was sitting at 36th position going into the Triple Crown events in Hawaii. If he could make the quarterfinals at any of the two remaining events, he would make the dream tour. At the Reef Hawaiian Pro in Haleiwa, Jean lost in the round of 96. At the 2012 HIC Pro at Sunset Beach, Jean would reach the round of 32, just one heat away from a quarterfinals and qualification. With minutes to go, He needed only a small backup score to advance. But unfortunately, there would be no buzzer beater in this last heat of 2012. And he finished 35th overall. Just three slots away from qualification. I was crushed after watching how close John came to realizing his dream. When I messaged him later that day, he seemed to take it more positively than I did. Reassuring me that next season would be his year, and that now he would have a high seating at each future event. We met up at Macaroni's the next few seasons, sometimes at the resort, and sometimes when he was on charter boats. He had new sponsors like GoPro and Chili Surfboards, and his free surfing was impeccable as usual. He had even adopted some above-the-lip aerial maneuvers, which didn't diminish his calm and gorgeous style. It was the contest that seemed to be the problem. He wasn't getting good results, and he was falling in the rankings. It was frustrating to watch. It was almost as if he was being too patient during heats. Many times only getting one good score, and running out of time before he could find a second. In 2013, 2014, and 2015, John was consistently ranked around 120th on the tour. In June of 2015, a massive Indonesian swell event nicknamed the Maza Swell, or the Millennium Swell, produced some 12 to 15 foot bombs in the Mentawai Island chain. The wave, named No Kandui, is a blindingly fast left-hand barrel that locks surfers in from start to finish and rarely allows an exit. This swell was made most famous by Craig Anderson and a photo of him riding an impossibly tiny board which landed on the cover of the surfer's journal. The other standout surfer at Kandui for that swell was indisputably Jean de Silva. There are countless clips of him owning that day, standing tall in 12-foot pits. He made the cover of Hardcore Magazine, Brazil's largest surf publication, and he was featured in numerous clips from GoPro. His main apparel sponsor, Mariesa, used the cover shot image on t-shirts and board shorts. After I saw all the footage and the cover shots, I was sure that this would be the catalyst for Jean to break into the realm of free surfers. Things finally seemed to be falling into place again, and I was certain he could finally ditch the grind of the qualifying series and concentrate on getting video clips and photos in perfect surf in exotic locations. In September of 2017, I got a message from Jean. He saw that a hurricane had smashed the East Coast, so he was asking if we were safe. I would have never imagined that this would be the last contact I would ever have with him. On the morning of November 24, 2017, I awoke to the news that Jean Da Silva was dead. In my disbelief, I jumped to the conclusion that the only possible way he was gone was from an accident or a murder. Jean had told me a story from years ago that shortly after he won his first professional surf contest, masked men broke into his house and robbed him. They seemed to know that he had just come into some good fortune. I'm not sure if I would have dealt with that news any better than the gut punch of actual reality. By all accounts, Jean had decided to end his own life. There's no way to properly describe the shock and disbelief when something that unexpected happens. There was absolutely zero indication to me that Jean was depressed. No one I've ever talked to sensed that anything was wrong. After I came to terms with the fact that Jean had made the decision to end his life, it left me with two main questions. Why did he make that choice? And where does that beautiful, creative energy of his soul exist now? In these past three years, when I investigate these questions, I don't find answers. I only find more broad and complex questions. I've spoken with friends of Jean, that knew him longer and were much closer to him, but no one anticipated his decision and no one can offer a definitive answer. Some people believe it's not for us to speculate why someone chooses to end their life, but it's difficult for me to just let it go and accept the explanation offered by the brain chemistry science of depression. I chose to become invested in Jean's successes and failures Because I witnessed his brilliance, and on a smaller scale, I was pursuing some of the same things. He opened my eyes and allowed me to see past all my preconceived stereotypes about Brazilian professional surfers. The decision Jean made to end his life was like a lightning bolt that struck down upon all our lives, causing us to question our passions and pursuits. Is this all meaningless? Surfing in Indonesia at the best of times can allow you to feel connected with the creator of the universe. We collect moments of sublime perfection that give us a feeling of being high and close to divinity. We also feel permanently connected to the friends that shared those waves and moments. Later When we're forced to come back down to reality and experience the everyday struggle and grind of daily existence, it can be a shock to the system. How we choose to deal with this shock is deeply personal and complicated. Did Jean choose to end his life because he fell short of his dreams of making the championship tour? Was it because of romantic relationships that went wrong? Was it those small injuries that seemed to plague him? Or was it a combination of it all? Scientific studies have revealed that 90% of people who die by suicide have a diagnosable and treatable mental illness at the time of their death. I briefly looked into some theories about suicide and brain chemistry. The clearest explanation I found was during a TED talk by a man named Mark Hennick. He described his own attempted suicide. He explained that our perception of reality is like a bubble that expands or contracts when we're faced with stress or difficulty. Mark's perception of reality had collapsed and he could only see the one option to end his life. While he balanced on a ledge of a freeway overpass, he noticed a sudden and peaceful feeling of control over the outcome of his life. In the midst of a hurricane of uncontrolled emotion and pain, he clung on to that feeling of control and slowly let go of the railing. If it wasn't for the intervention of an unknown bystander that physically pulled Mark off the ledge, he would have continued to fall. Surfing can offer us a similar fleeting feeling of control. Our life's decisions are left in the wake behind us. The situational vortex of the present envelops above and below us. While our bubble of perception, the exit, is like a goal spread out in front of us. Unfortunately, it's only a temporary feeling and one that leaves us craving for more. I recently spoke to one of Jean's closest friends, the filmmaker and documentarian named Loiki Worth. He offered a possible explanation why Jean didn't tell any of us what he was feeling. He suggested that it could have been because of a taboo among Brazilian men. If they were to seek professional help with their problems, it might be perceived as weak or insane. The same can be said about men of any country. Some of us keep our problems to ourselves out of fear that we might seem weak or crazy or a burden to our friends and family. Science might offer an explanation of why, but what about my other question? Where does the beautiful and creative soul of Jean's energy exist now? The things I have left from Jean are fond memories, videos, photos, and text messages. The most cherished and important to me are the videos. Whenever I watch them, I try to decode the meaning. Similar to words, an edited video that we choose to share with the world has a meaning and an intention. With John's videos, I can sense something beyond sponsorship obligations or the desire to impress people with surfing skills. He made two edits that featured just him and me. I find this significant because I would consider it a risk to include an unknown surfer north of 40 years old in an edit attached to your sponsor's logo. He serendipitously filmed me through the window painting, and the tower at Macaroni's Resort, and included it in the edit. We traded waves and surfboards out at Macaroni's that day. He titled it, Living the Life. In the description of the video, Jean writes, Posso dizer que o fil é um dos caras que mais me inspiraram na vida e no surf. I can say that Phil is one of the guys who inspired me in life and surfing. I don't know why I didn't bother to translate that description until now. It's extremely painful to read those words because it makes me believe that if he had reached out in any way, I might have been able to help. Perhaps I'm delusional to think this, but I can't help it. Now whenever I'm surfing in Indonesia in quality conditions, I look up to the sun and I wonder where Jean exists now. Surely a human soul is more transcendent than a digital video clip that lays dormant on an external hard drive, waiting to be viewed again. But spiritual questions tend to divide people. Our belief systems are deeply personal and to question the transcendence of our souls can be terrifying. In Loiki's masterpiece entitled Intensio, there are 11 surfers featured in the stunningly gorgeous surf film. I find it extremely heartbreaking and eerie that of those 11 surfers, three have passed away. Jean de Silva, Ricardo dos Santos and Fernando Fantamora. The title, Intencio, means intent, and you can clearly see the filmmaker's intent with every frame, along with an eloquent narration. He visually expresses surfing and traveling as a lifestyle worthy to hold onto. When I recently watched the film again, The irony was not lost on me. The film starts with a narrator who says, The funny thing about fairy tales is that we forget them so fast. We grow up, we buy things, we build up fences, we sell our innocence and forget our dreams. We forget who we are in order to be something that we're not. And we'll keep on believing these so-called truths until we forget how to live or until we open our eyes and wake up. I've had a really difficult time putting together this episode. I nearly gave up multiple times, but I couldn't stop thinking about it and about Jean. The events of this year, 2020, have caused me to question everything, and I'm confident that I'm not alone in this experience. We all must decide what's true and what's worth believing and pursuing. There are two main purposes for this episode. I want anyone listening to remember Jean De Silva. He was not just a talented surfer. He was also kind and generous and generous creative, unique, and inspiring. These are not just cliche terms we use to honor friends that have passed away. These are facts that we experience by knowing him. The other intent I have for this episode is aimed at anyone that might be experiencing thoughts beyond their control or of loved ones that are struggling. I'm not an authority about mental health, I have some life experience, but much of it would read as a how not to guide to life. I've struggled with addiction, selfishness, anger, and insecurity. But by knowing John De Silva, it affected my life in a positive way. I consider that time of my life as a pivotal moment. So when I learned of his decision to end his life, It struck at the balance of everything in life that I consider important. If you're experiencing suicidal thoughts, then please ask for help. Ask your friends and family, a pastor or a priest. There are doctors that can lead you down a new path of thinking to help you open your eyes and remember how to live again. Recently I heard a quote We crucify ourselves between two thieves. Regret and fear. Regret about the past and fear of the future. Don't let these thieves steal your joy and your hope. Don't be ashamed to ask for help don't be afraid that you might burden your friends or family. If there's a situation in your life that's causing thoughts that are beyond your control, then please ask for help. In the show notes, I'll include telephone numbers to suicide hotlines and also to Loiki's movie, Intensio, Some of Jean De Silva's clips. And if you want to call me, I'll talk to you too. So I'll include my phone number as well. Thanks for listening.